Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The financial exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated. This is the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. Your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day, your city, your world. Stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends, plus breaking business news every day. This is the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. Another day, another little bit of economic data coming out as we build towards earnings season kicking off tomorrow. Again, the big week is not next week, but it's the week after the the week that ends on April 28th and then the week that ends on May 5th are going to be your biggest ones for earnings this spring. But we're continuing to get more and more economic data. And this morning, we got the producer price index, not the consumer price index, which we saw. Was that yesterday? Yeah, that was yesterday. That was yesterday. Yeah, showed a meaningful decline in headline inflation. Um but and today sure we got the, uh, the, the PPI. Yes. And so the, the producer price index, if we're being completely honest, doesn't really mean anything. Okay. Let's talk about why it doesn't really mean it. I mean, obviously it means something to some individuals, but unless you are a manufacturer or producer, it's not terribly meaningful to consumers. So here, here's why I say that it really doesn't mean anything, is that the producer price index does not have a strong correlation with the consumer price index. It has a weak correlation because they, they tend to you know move somewhat similarly. But there is not a pass-through where you say, hey, PPI was down half a percent this month. That means CPI is going to be down half a percent right. next month. It doesn't work like that. Why? There are different weightings. PPI is really also, A, just looking at goods okay it's it's looking at the inputs for you know goods and things like that and that's a very small portion of overall cpi right think about when you go to the grocery store uh you know the ppi might measure the input costs of the products on the shelves but won't account for the labor costs or the fuel well, i guess it would cost account for the fuel cost of getting it there but all of the labor costs that go into stocking those shelves and checking you out are not considered in ppi so what we ended up seeing this morning Good news on the PPI front, though, okay? And, and look, we'll obviously take good news rather than bad news there. Came in at negative half a percent for the month compared to expectations of flat. And even core came in at negative 0.1% for the month compared to expectations of up 0.3. This brings the core PPI down to 3.4% for the year. 
headline PPI down to 2.7%. Here is the big caveat, is that this month, the biggest driver of the decrease in PPI was energy. And Same for CPI. It, it accounted for about two-thirds of that decline. Yep. And so given that OPEC Plus has now, since you know, since March ended pretty much, reasserted itself as, hey, we're the ones who determine where oil prices go in the world. This is something that you do have to pay attention to in terms of, hey, there's a reason why you often see economists look at core and not headline. And the reason why is because energy can be really volatile month to month. This month, just as an example, it contributed negative 0.4% to PPI. Mm-hmm. Next month, it might be positive 04 with how good. oil prices have moved since then. So I think this is a report that does show good news. Let's let's be honest here. We're seeing some improvement in, in the data, but it's also a really volatile data set, and there is nothing to say that this doesn't reverse itself over the next couple of months here. Yeah. In the context of also some bad data from uh, ISM, right? We've been looking at manufacturing data that's been pretty abysmal. Does this maybe further the opinion that, hey, on the producer side, demand is not quite as strong as it was? Or is this purely a energy prices are down? No, I do think on on the producer side, you you do have this real drop in demand for goods that's continuing. You, You take a look at just about any metric out there for freight shipments and specifically the cost of freight shipments they're way down too in in particular anything on the trucking side is seeing just really low volumes right and the indications that i i think i'm starting to see are that in the next few months the trucking industry it's really fragmented there are no giant you know it's it's one of the few businesses in the country right now that doesn't have three companies that dominate the space mm. It's just there are a ton of fleets with one to ten rigs out there, and that's just how the market operates. You're going to see a lot of those probably going under in the next few months just because they can't make money with where rates with where their rates are right now. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. And, and no, I'm not saying that means that recession is imminent in that two to three month period. I'm just saying, hey, this has been the problem for the last year, and they're finally getting close to the breaking point because americans in general have not been buying as much in the way of goods since last february right so i think there there is some weakness there the the piece that's going to determine inflation over the rest of this year not, you know the next few months is kind of baked where it's going to continue to come down in my opinion but over the second are you talking half about of the core year, or headline because i think both okay I mean, headline to me is going to be driven a lot by oil prices. Even core, it's still going to be lower than last year. Sure. You know, you're not going to get a 1.2% monthly print on CPI. So you're going to end up by the end of Q2, my guess is headline inflation is anywhere between if you get, you know, great help on oil, which you're not right now, 2.9 if it goes poorly. Four three, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in that range, call it three six three seven, is where I think you're probably ending up. Yep. End of Q two. The question for the rest of the year is what happens to the services sector because that's the sticky inflation. When we talk about why services is sticky, hey, if you are selling movie tickets, okay, you change the price of those on a on a weekly basis. No, they tend to go one way and it's up, and that's because of your labor cost, your rent, things like that. Those are sticky prices. 
if you've got a data center that you're running, it's your electricity costs, it's your cooling costs, all that stuff that feeds into it. That's the sticky type of inflation. When you talk about, you know, the price of grills and hatchbacks and this and that, it's not as sticky because there's not as much that is involved with, again, labor and rent and, and those things that tend to not really go down very quickly. As we've talked about, at, at this stage, there is a class of Americans who are you know, unable to expand their spending anymore or even continue their spending that was occurring during the pandemic because of inflation and because of the lack of stimulus. But for, I don't know what top percentile, but you know maybe it's the top 5 to 10%, the inflation impact hasn't been all that strong and all that bad to them because of you know the level of their overall spending and how little inflation ends up eating up. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, last night where I this rang particularly true to me. He uh, owns his own airplane financing business. Oh, I thought you were going to say owns his own airplane. Effectively brokers loans with banks to finance an airplane, which, by the way... Like, co- we're talking commercial airplanes, 737s? Um, or are we personal, talking- no. So smaller aircraft for either personal use or very small businesses. So uh, he does loans as small as uh, $30,000, uh, up to you know $10 million. One, the shocking piece to me, uh, you can finance a, an airplane today for 20 years at 6% interest. What? <laughs> right. Is an airplane a depreciating Cheaper asset? That, uh, apparently not. Uh, I would imagine that it is, but... The you would second think it leaves so. the runway, it loses value. Yeah, when every, every time you take it into the air, it goes down by 0.1%. Yeah. So his point is that he is seeing airplanes that were sold in the 70s and 80s for you know $30,000 going now for $150,000, and they're still in the air. Um, because basically you upgrade the technology, but the engine is the exact same. Um, but his point was that he has seen no demand drop off whatsoever, even since the, um, the collapse of Silicon Valley. And I mean, look, if you're buying a plane, you're obviously a certain type of consumer. So uh, that, that was interesting evidence to me of the lack of pullback in spending from a specific segment of the population. You can finance a plane for 20, 20 years, years at, at 6%. 6%. Oh, and last year he was doing it at, you know, sub three. We should look into this. Tucker, let's go, let's go buy a plane, man. <laughs> Financial exchange show plane. <laughs> it would 20 be 20 years, 6 percent remote interest. from the plane. It, what? it would be a, a, a Cessna. You know, we're, we're probably not well, buying. The interesting part of all this is that the default rates are way below residential real estate. Well, I'm sure they underwrite them pretty They heavily. underwrite them pretty heavily, and to in his experience, he's been doing this since the 70s, nobody defaults. What if, I guess it probably doesn't happen very often that the plane's destroyed. Right, and they're insured. I would, well, think. How much, you, I would think that if you are going to have a loan on a plane, you probably have to insure said plane. How much does plane insurance cost? I didn't get that deep. <laughs> Can you have collision, or do you just need do, like do you need the full collision? Do you need liability that, protection? I, Who knows? I hope there's no collision. Well, you would, that would hope be bad. so. But what what else are you? What about glass? Is there a deductible on that for glass? I don't know. I don't know. Safe light comes out to repair it. I'm not sure. Yeah, do they just pop in a new little cockpit window, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Once a year. Safe light repairs. Sorry. Can you get the coverage for the tires? Because those always seem yeah. to, to go. It's you yeah. know it's the one place where that extra warranty on the tires is kind of worth it. Have you worked in the warranty department of a uh, auto dealer or something like this, Chuck? Because you're no, selling me. No. I'll, so here's the thing. The, the last car that I bought, which is the one that I'm driving right now, I bought it back in 2014. 
And you always get pitched on. Do you want you know the extended warranty? Do you want mm-hmm. the extended tire warranty? And I always say no because they, they never pay off. The extended warranty never pays off. Yeah. I pull out of the lot. By the time I got home, nail in the tire. <laughs> First day driving the car. Uh, First day driving the car. That's and I'm sitting rough. there, I'm going, should have gotten the tire warranty. Yeah. Should have gotten it. Let's take a quick break here when we come back. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming Fed meeting. It's going to be in about two and a half weeks, and we've barely touched on it. So we'll preview that when we return. Find daily interviews and full shows of the Financial Exchange on our YouTube page. Get caught up on anything and everything you might have missed. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Hi, this is Chuck Zada from the Armstrong Advisory Group. Spring is here, your taxes are coming due, and if you're considering some changes to your financial structure, our new monthly guide may help. It's called Nine Tips to Spring Clean Your Finances, where we outline a host of different issues that may affect you going forward, like evaluating any income changes for 2023. If you're retired or getting close to retiring, it's important to understand how a change in income can affect your long-term planning. It's also a good time to review or update your estate plan, because as you get older, circumstances may change, so you'll want to take a look at your plan to ensure that your assets are protected. Call right now at 800-393-4001 and request your copy of our new free guide, Nine Tips to Spring Clean Your Finances. That's 800-393-4001 or request it online at armstrongadvisory.com. The proceeding was paid for by Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor. Nothing in the ad or in any Armstrong guide is specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong may contact you to offer investment advisory services. Missed one of our shows? Catch up anytime by asking your Alexa smart speaker to play the Financial Exchange. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. The Financial Exchange is proudly partnered with VA New England. If you or a loved one serve this country, get the health benefits you earned and deserve. Call 844-VA-CARES. That's 844-VA-CARES. As of this very moment in time, the federal funds rate, or the Fed funds rate as it's known, uh, is currently standing at 4.75 to 5%. That's the short-term rate target that the Fed has. Expectations for the May 3rd meeting currently are that the Fed has a 65.3% chance of hiking by 25 further basis points to a range of 5 to 5 and a quarter, and a 34% chance of staying right where they are. I'm a little bit surprised that there is still this much uncertainty out there because there's no other major news coming out before this. Yeah, we're, we're only two weeks away. There's no other data to be had, and it's pretty even. Well, that's not evenly split, but you'll pretty closely some, You'll split. get some earnings data coming out, and maybe that moves markets a little bit, but yeah. th- there's no other major data releases and so given where we stand right now, if you know, if you look at where the data has come in, it's shown softening on the inflation side of things and on the job side of things still strong, right. but you know, starting to see some signs of softening as well. I think given what I have seen from this Fed over the past year and a half, I would say they probably decide not to hike really? any further. At the next meeting? If the market has ever given them the opportunity to not hike, they've yeah, taken no. it for the last year and yeah. a half. Yep. I think 
I think the difference between five percent and five and a quarter is nothing. It's it's it has no meaningful impact on the economy where the short term Fed funds rate is five or five and a quarter. Yeah, I think that's arguably true. It'd be the precise reason that I would continue upward, but that's I would know, do uh, also why I'm not in charge. I, I would go one more because yeah. the the market long term is already saying you're going to have to cut. Yeah. You might as well get the short-term rate up one more so you have more room to cut then. Yeah. If, if that's what, you know, is going to happen. I'm not convinced that you need to, you know, follow the market path, but you, you might need to. So I, I think that I, I'm a little surprised that there is so much expectation of a hike priced in here because when given the opportunity to say, hey, we're going to not do anything anymore, I think the Fed will jump at it because they, they've 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 been reluctantly hawkish for the last year and a half now. Yeah, they have been. I, I think um, a little bit more context around that jobs, or excuse me, around the CPI report that we got yesterday. We've talked about it being weakening uh, a fair bit. I, I do want to dive in a little bit there. I know you guys did yesterday. Dive uh, away as well. But the key takeaway was that. Yeah, I mean, this was the best inflation report we've seen in a couple of years now, dramatically helped by energy prices really across the board. Um, and that could swing in the other direction. I, I think that has to be the key takeaway here. I, I, I know that we like it's bad for us to take a look at this and say, well, it could go the other direction because all of last year the inflation was being caused by high energy prices. And we said, well, yeah, you have to pay attention to that like okay, too bad. You have to combat that and, and go deal with it. And now energy prices have come down. And I think we're all caveating this report a little bit. But those prices swing in the other direction, you still have a problem. Um, and they are swinging right now, by the way. Over the last month, national average for gas prices, according to AAA, has gone from 347 to 364. And based on what you're seeing in terms of futures pricing, I think you probably get up into the 385 range before you find a place to stop. Can you find anything encouraging from the housing sector? So what, if, we're, if we're talking about the shelter cost index, we did see in this report that it very modestly declined. Uh, we are now hitting the lowest that we have seen month over month increase in shelter costs since November of last year, but very, very meaning. Uh, meaningfully small in terms of the drop-off. You're not saying that the price of shelter declined. You're saying the pace slowed. Yes. Um, the pace of increases. The pace has slowed. of increases has slowed in the month of March. Should that continue, that could be the other meaningful driver of lower inflation. It could the the other so when when you look at the outliers in the inflationary picture right now, I, I tend to like to look at, you know, both to the upside and the downside and say, okay, what are what are the odds that these things, you know, come back to where they'll they'd be expected to be given what we have seen from used car wholesale pricing. I, I knew that's where you're going to go. Yeah. I struggle to see a way in which used car prices still come down one to 2% a month, which they did last for the rest month, of the year, month of March. Uh, and for the last three months, they've been averaging more like a 2% monthly decline. Medical care services because of an adjustment to how it's calculated has had three of the lowest monthly numbers that it's ever printed in the history of the series. That's not going to continue in perpetuity. That number is going to you're not going to see healthcare costs decline six percent year over year. Right. That's just not going to happen. Uh, other things when I look at, you know, and I'm just looking at the low end right now, 
Uh, gas prices are not going to go down 4.6% every month. No, and probably not even for another month. Food prices. I do think there are some legs to food prices continuing to slide a little bit uh, because of the factors that had pushed them up. I mean, I know it's a small component of the CPI, but look what's going on with eggs just as an example. No one's freaking out about, you know, eggs being so expensive anymore. Egg prices were down 11% just last month. Hmm. You know, you've got some of those things that are squaring themselves away. On the other hand, you look at some of the things that are, you know, really steeply accelerating still at the moment, and th- there aren't a ton of them, okay, but transportation services, are, they, are those going to go, you know, 14 15% a year? They have so far. <laughs> but there, there's, there are limits to how yeah. that can, you know, end up, end up moving. Uh, medical care commodities, I have no freaking idea if I'm being honest. It may go up, I, I, not even going to try it. What are we talking about, like? Latex gloves? Band-Aids? I don't know. Yeah. Let me see what goes into medical care commodities. I've never really looked closely. You, you don't need to. That's okay. Well, no. I mean, as long as we're talking about it, don't you want to know what makes up? Med- no. Here we go. It is So it makes up 1.4% of the CPI. Mm. The bulk of it is prescription drugs. Makes sense. And then there's a tiny little part that is medical equipment and supplies, which is gloves. Gloves, band-aids, things Gauze. along those lines. Gauze. All that good stuff. Quick break. We are back with Wall Street Watch after this. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at TFE Show. Breaking business news is always first right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time now for Wall Street Watch. A complete look at what's moving markets so far today, right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. This segment of the Financial Exchange is brought to you by Office Gallery International. They can help you design the perfect office space. Come visit their state-of-the-art showroom in Norwood where you'll find a wide variety of products that can help you envision a beautiful and productive workspace. Schedule your free consultation today at officegallery.net. That's officegallery.net. Office Gallery, creating workplace solutions that work. Well, it's time for Wall Street Watch here on the Financial Exchange in Markets are in the green today as traders react to this morning's producer price index, which showed March producer prices climbed 2.7% versus expectations 
of a 3% increase. And overall, sentiment is upbeat with more evidence of cooling inflation. At the moment, the Dow is up by a third of a percent, or 113 points. S&P 500 up by two-thirds of a percent, or 26 points. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq, nice little rally there, up one and a third percent, or 159 points. Russell 2000 is up by three-quarters of a percent as well. Uh, 10-year Treasury yield, that is off by one basis point, now at 3.40%. Crude oil is dipping into negative territory, now trading at $83.09 a barrel. Shares in Delta Airlines are down by nearly 2% after the company reported first quarter results this morning, posting a quarterly loss, mostly uh, in part due to a new pilot contract. However, Delta did provide an upbeat forecast for revenue growth and profits in the second quarter, anticipating sales to increase by 15 to 17% in the current quarter year over year above analyst estimates. The company's executives also remain optimistic about continued travel demand despite weakness in other sectors. Uh, meanwhile, for, or excuse me, first quarter earnings season will officially kick off tomorrow where major banks including J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo will all report ahead of the opening bell. Meanwhile, first, show, first solar shares are down by a third of a percent after the solar company was downgraded to hold from buy by Deutsche Bank, citing the stock is expensive after its recent rally. And Harley-Davidson CFO Gina Goder will depart the company and take on a similar role at Rhode Island-based toy maker Hasbro. Goder has been with Harley-Davidson since 2020 and had previous stints with Tyson Foods and General Mills. Harley-Davidson stock is down by 3.5%, while Hasbro shares are up by nearly 2%. I'm Tucker Silva, and that's Wall Street Watch. There's a headline in Bloomberg that Chinese exports unexpectedly rise in positive sign for the economy. Exports from China jumped 14.8% in dollar terms last month from the prior year. Economists had forecast more than a 7% fall, so that's a pretty big gap between the two. Do you make anything of this? Um, I mean, the economy completely reopened uh, just pretty recently, and so taking a little while to get things fired up and moving again uh, wouldn't be all that surprising. What I don't have is any supporting data just simply because I didn't look for it from South Korea or Japan to see how much activity has upticked there to confirm the data. Because as we know, there have been instances in the past where you can look at some of this and consider it highly suspect in terms of what is actually happening in China. That having been said, I mean, there has been a lot of reopening activity, both on the economic and political side of China. Uh, Brazil's President, L President Lula is visiting China right now. There has clearly been an effort to reopen that country. And so a big shift in exports wouldn't be all that surprising to me on behalf of China. Apple is tripling its iPhone production from India to $7 billion, or rather they did triple their production uh, to $7 billion worth of iPhones produced in the country last year. That's almost 7% of the total iPhones that they make worldwide now. It's still a relatively small total compared to what is assembled in China, but it does appear there are some real legs behind Apple saying, yeah, we're never going to get away from China as a manufacturing partner, but would you be surprised if five years from now, 
Apple's making 25 to 30 percent of its iPhones in India? Yeah, I think the goal for Apple sounds like it's probably to use India more, but still as a minority of the production that is occurring. Um, but I would I would assume that they are building up the infrastructure to be able to dramatically ramp up in the need, in the event that they needed to do so. E- even with difference in labor costs between India and China, it has got to still be massively more expensive to manufacture these things over there just because of efficiency problems. But it, it's a good backup plan to have. And that seems to be what they're doing for different components across the world, whether it's India, Thailand, where were some of the other manufacturing hubs that they had started looking at? Uh, I think they had poked around in Vietnam as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like building up some redundancy and a little bit of backup planning. When do we get Apple's earnings report? Do you know? Uh, give me just a moment and I'll pull it up. Probably in a couple of weeks. They're probably one of the big big tech companies coming out. Well, the, they are those... one of the big tech companies that will report earnings. Yes, I, I meant in that busy week. April 28th. Yeah, so they're right at the end of that uh, big week. I'll be interested to hear. Look, I mean, these big companies, especially this year, have been what has driven markets. And there has been a lot of concern about, not from Apple, but from other retailers that operate in this space, that, hey, you know, we have not quite seen the sales that we've been seeing over the last few years. And that has been a continuing trend, but I think has been a little bit louder recently. And Apple has always managed to escape those concerns. I wonder if they continue to do so here. Do you know that if you were to Google Apple production by country, you get the number of apples produced by country? I like that answer better. (laughs) Do you want to know what countries produce the most apples? Of course I do, now that you mentioned it. It's China! Yeah. Interestingly enough, and this is measured by uh, tons of apples, Mm. Mm -hmm. China produces 43 million tons of apples, which Mm. is about half the world's production. Mm. I didn't realize that China was so big into apple. What percentage did you say it was? It's 50% of world apple production. Wow. Kind of makes you feel embarrassed of United States place here. I I feel like the U.S. is number two. Okay. Johnny Appleseed did some work. Yeah. We produced 6.1 million tons of apples. Same story here. We're the, we're the innovators in the apple market. We create the new ones. Uh, you know, we, we have the newly genetically modified apples that can get grown everywhere and, and people love. And then we just, you know, farm it out to China to, uh, to grow. This is fascinating. There is absolutely nothing in common between any of the major apple producers in the world. You want to know the top 10? Apple producers? It, sure. Go ahead. Take a guess what number three is. So number one's China. Number two is the U.S. Quickly. Brazil. Tucker. Chicago. Poland. Poland. Poland is the third biggest apple producer in the world. Number four, any guesses? Rhode Island. Turkey. Countries. (laughs) Turkey. Turkey. Then India, Iran. Italy. Italy. Oh, Beats Not bad. There. All right. Chile, France, Russia, Brazil, Ukraine, and Uzbekistan. Mm. Those are the 13 largest Apple producers in the world. It is interesting. Not iPhone producers. There is kind of an Apple belt. The edible apples. You know, it really is. You have to have a very specific latitude in order to get, you know, the right Apple production. There's no one near the equator who yeah. produces a lot of apples. Mm-hmm. Gets too hot. Yeah. And there's no one, you know, kind of north of New England who does it. Like, Canada's not on that list. Hmm. Where's Canada fall? Canada's the 31st biggest apple producer in the world. 
They get, yeah, but you should see their maple syrup production. They, they get babe. beaten out by Syria, who's in the middle of a civil war. So well, there you go. There's that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, because at the moment it's not good. And I, I think there is a question as to, you know, th- this arguably the relationship between the U.S. and the Saudis over the last 60 years. You can make a case it's been the most important geopolitical relationship in the world. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. think that's a stretch. Okay. okay. Not in terms of, you know, military power, but just in terms of, hey, what has dictated, you know, world events more than any other, than any other relationship in the last 60 years? It's probably the relationship between the U.S. and the Saudis. Okay. Okay. So when we look at where things stand right now, it's it's pretty clear that the U.S. and the Saudis are not really getting along for a number of different reasons. Uh, obviously, this I, I would say this kind of started with uh, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, yeah, and then accelerated through some you know disagreements that the Saudis had with other OPEC members, and then most recently the Saudis you know kind of being pulled towards Russia and China's sphere of influence a little bit, and the U.S. clearly opposing both of those regimes for different reasons, but uh, ultimately not really on the same side as them. Yeah, and I mean, look, the trade-off for decades has been oil in exchange for defense from the United States. Uh, And um, from the United States' perspective, that reliance on that Saudi oil has been lessened over the last few decades due to the shale. And so I think it is it is not just one direction, right? It is not just the Saudis frustrated with the United States uh, and pulling away there, but I think it's a little bit of the United States saying, hey, we don't need this in the same way that we did in the 1970s and 80s. Because if we're being completely honest, the U.S.-Saudi relationship that developed in the post-World War II era, it was not one that was born out of similar ideals or similar goals. You don't say. It was one that was born out of being a a purely transactional relationship. Give us the energy that we need, yep, and we will help you defend yourselves. Mm-hmm. That was the, the the trade that was offered. Yeah. Now I think there's a valid question to be asked in terms of, okay, so you're going to align yourselves with Russia to help defend yourselves. Russian defense resources are pretty strained these days, mm-hmm. and the Russian economy is not capable of producing large numbers of weapons and things like that needed. Though Chinese defense resources are not so strained. The relationship with China makes much more sense yeah. in that capacity, the counterpoint being that you know anything Chinese military is anything that's produced you know for the Chinese military is thoroughly untested, and you have no idea how well it's actually going to work, and... And if you start taking it, the United States is going to cut you off like that. Well, yeah, yes. So the second that you start, you know, taking military technology from one of the U.S.'s adversaries, they basically say, no, look no further than Turkey. Turkey, was it five, six years ago, bought a bunch of S-400 missile systems from Russia. What did the U.S. do? Fine, you're not being involved in the joint strike fighter program anymore. You're not getting any F-35s. We're not going to produce any of the components in Turkey anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. You would expect to see something similar happened to the Saudis in the event that they ever actually started buying Russian or Chinese weaponry. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about green tax credits after this. This is your home for the most comprehensive coverage of the economy and the trends on Wall Street. 
This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. April is National Financial Literacy Month, a good time to consider your life's goals and what you need to do to achieve them. Making dreams come true can be a daunting task, especially when it comes to understanding the best ways to manage your money. That's when having a trusted partner like a credit union proves to be of most value because your financial well-being is at the heart of who we are, people helping people. Learn more at bettervaluesbetterbanking.com. Cushing and Dolan's new guide called How to Leave Assets to Your Beneficiaries may help you with your estate planning. It offers several strategies about how to make the right decision about distributions at the right time. Call 866-848-5699 and get yours today. That's 866-848-5699 or request it online by visiting LegalExchangeShow.com. The proceeding was paid for and the views expressed are solely those of Cushing and Dolan. Cushing and Dolan and or Armstrong Advisory may contact you offering legal or investment services. Cushing and Dolan and Armstrong Advisory do not endorse each other and are not affiliated. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Text us. 617-362-1385 with your comments and questions about today's show. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Last year, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, and the major component of it was a bunch of tax credits for different green initiatives, electric vehicles, uh, clean hydrogen, some things for you know, some nuclear power research, things along those lines, solar energy. That was the, you know, the big stuff included in it. Now, we are not seeing large numbers of households going out and applying for the nuclear power credits. They're not putting nukes in their homes to power them. Although the idea of the mini nuke is still so exciting to me. That's one way to put it. When you say mini nuke, you're not referring to me actually being able to, you know, go down in the basement and slide a little bit more uranium in there and No, I, I don't think that we're getting there. But the idea is that the they could produce nuclear power plants on a much smaller scale, which um was appealing from a meltdown perspective. What we are seeing, though, is it appears that Americans are spending more than anticipated on EVs and solar systems for their homes, and that, in turn, is likely to drive the cost of this up significantly, which, look, we always say, hey, whenever you see the, the CBO run something on this, it never turns out as rosy as they project, and this is... I guess what we're what we're seeing in this case. What is the solar tax credit? Is it still thirty percent? Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Yeah. I mean, that is a 
particularly it's bumped up from 26. Yeah, that is a particularly compelling one. The, the EV car sales, like I, I get how that $7,500 tax credit is not going to end up doing it for that many people, but for the solar panels, I mean, heck, if I can make the math work here in the Boston area, then think about how compelling that is in a place like Arizona or Florida or you know these other markets where you're running air conditioning a lot more and you have much more sunlight. The United States, Virgin Islands, St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John were recently voted a top Caribbean destination by Travel and Leisure Magazine and several other top media organizations, as well as the best Caribbean islands to visit in 2023 by the Caribbean Journal. Spring has arrived in New England, but it's still a perfect time to head to America's Caribbean paradise. When you arrive, you'll enjoy some of the most pristine beaches in the world, incredible scuba diving and snorkeling, and world-class culinary offerings. Book your trip today and fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands, where the sun is strong, the clouds are few, and the weather is perfect every day. Travel from New England could not be easier with no passport required, no money to exchange, and no travel restrictions to enter. Go to visitusvi.com and learn more about America's Caribbean paradise and book a trip today. That's visitusvi.com. The other thing that I was going to say on the EV tax credit, if they, they really should have found a way, and again, I'm not saying that I'm in favor of or not, because I, I think that the jury's still out for me in terms of whether you want to just push everyone to EVs as the solution to internal combustion engines. Okay. But if you're going to give people a $7,500 tax credit, make it so they can get it when they buy the car, not having to wait until next April. I wonder if there's a, a way for a cottage industry to pop up on that. There's, there's got to be some way that you can just apply it at the point of sale. Right. How did the uh, how did the tax preparing company? I mean, do really, that? Like, if you think about it, all that you should do is the credit. You know, okay, fine. The the business you know selling the car can take the credit, yeah, pass it on to you, and then you don't get anything. I wonder if you can assign. Yeah, you should be able to just assign your personal tax credit to the business so that they can give it to you right up front. Right. That's how. I mean, that's how like TurboTax and everything does that. If they, you know, how yeah. they have those offers like yeah. get your credit, get your credit two weeks early. Yeah. Uh, or your your refund rather two weeks early. I'm sure they take a nice hefty haircut off of all of that. But you would think that that already exists. Surprising. A new way to push people back to offices, tying pay to attendance. So. I'll be the first to admit I do not buy this uh, this title because I think it's misleading. Okay. So you have a law firm, Davis, Polk, and Wardwell. Wardwell? Wardwell. Wardwell. Wardle. Wardle. Wardle? Wardwell. We got 20 seconds. <laughs> they are saying that they are going to start taking into account in-person attendance when it comes to bonuses and pay and things like that. I do not think that this is actually something that they are trying to do. Law firms notoriously do not want to be seen laying people off, mm-hmm. and I think they are trying to force people out without having to announce that they are doing layoffs. Hmm. Yeah, could be. I, I you know, continue to see data from companies all over the place that point to the fact that their full remote employees from a number of different productivity standpoints are not producing as high as, as, high as their hybrid employees. Customer satisfaction from you know, calls, any, any sort of things, you're starting to see that gap show up, whereas it didn't before. We got to take a quick break, but our two of the financial exchanges coming up, including a little bit of a preview of earnings as we kick off our two in just a bit.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.